All right, we are back. We need to take a radical uh, change of direction, I think. Back to the sinking of the Guitaro, which we talked about in our first segment. And although I have no idea whether there are documents this funny to be found in the Navy Department Library, but it might be worth a look. But to quote from an investigation of the Arms Services Investigating Subcommittee held at San Francisco Bay Naval Shipyard, Mare Island, Vallejo, the background to the story was as follows. At approximately 8.30 p.m., May 15, 1969, the nuclear-powered attack submarine Guitaro sank while tied up to the dock at the Mare Island site of the San Francisco Bay Naval Shipyard. The ship had, under, had been under construction since August 1965 and was due to be commissioned in January 1970. Sinking was caused by uncontrolled flooding within the forward part of the ship. It was refloated by May 18th, and after inspection, damages were estimated at between $15.2 and $21.8 million. Their findings and conclusions were that although the sinking of the USS Guitaro was accidental, the immediate cause of the sinking was the culpable negligence of certain shipyard employees. This, together with the contributing factors of inadequate coordination of both the ship's construction activities and the assignment of specific responsibilities, will be discussed more fully in the body of the report. The chronology of events was described as follows. 4 p.m., a civilian construction group, Nuclear, began an instrument calibration which required the filling of certain tanks located aft of the ship's pivot point. 4.30 p.m., a civilian construction group, Non-Nuclear, began an assignment to bring the ship within a half degree of trim. This entailed the adding of water to tanks forward of the ship's pivot point. Chronology notes, 4.30 to 7.50 p.m., the nuclear group continued to add water aft. 4.30 to 7.45 p.m., the non-nuclear group continued to add water forward. It notes that at 7 o'clock and again at 7.30 p.m., a security watch advised the non-nuclear group that by that time the guitar was riding so low forward that a one-and-a-half-foot wave action stirred up by passing boats in the river was causing water to enter an uncovered manhole in the most forward and lowest portion of the ship's deck. These warnings, note the report, went unheeded. At 7.45, the non-nuclear group stopped adding water to the ballast tanks in preparation for lunch. At 7.50, the nuclear group completed their calibration and began to empty the aft tanks. At 8.30, the nuclear group, emptying water from the aft tanks, <laughs> noticed a sudden downward angle being taken by the boat. And about this time, the non-nuclear group, returning from lunch, observed the ship to be down sharply at the bow, with massive flooding taking place through several large open hatches. Between 8.30 and 8.45, efforts were made to close watertight doors and hatches, but were unsuccessful due to lines and cables running through them. At 8.55, the Guitaro sank. In their discussion of events, the subcommittee reported that the Guitaro should not have sunk. It was not overwhelmed by cataclysmic forces of nature, or an imperfection in design, or an inherent weakness in its hull. Rather, it was sent to the bottom by the action, or inaction, of certain construction workers who either failed to recognize an actual or potential threat to the ship's safety, or assumed it was not their responsibility. The report cites the Guitaro's Achilles heel, noting that the most forward part of the ship has a bow structure sonar dome, and the entrance to the dome was through a manhole which had a bolted cover. At the time of launch, the opening was also protected by a coffer dam about three and a half feet high, 
a precaution taken to make sure that occasional water did not run down the electronic gear which was exposed. But apparently the sonar's operation is dependent upon a large number of a large electronic transducers. There were some failures in those components, and they would have to be replaced. To facilitate the work, the cofferdam and bolted manhole cover were both removed. That was in early March of that year, and neither was ever replaced. The report notes that the ship superintendent testified to them that the bolted manhole cover should not have remained off without the cofferdam around the hole, but he testified that although he made daily inspections of the Gitaro, he never noticed the uncovered sonar dome manhole, and no one ever brought it to his attention. Anyway, back to what happened. There was one non-nuclear group pumping water forward in the ship in order to supposedly adjust, adjust the trim, while a calibration nuclear group was in the rear pumping water in and out of the aft tanks. Unfortunately, notes the report, neither group knew what the other was doing, nor were they apparently aware of each other's presence. Now, it should be noted that uh, when you're making adjustments of the trim of a submarine, apparently you generally rely upon what are called the trim tanks. A submarine also has ballast tanks, which customarily are utilized when the ship dives. The report notes some confusion in what the actual trim of the submarine was, expressing the notion that apparently it was in good trim and was not bow up, meaning that the non-nuclear group probably didn't have to pump water the way they did, to quote from the report. In the forward part of the ship, the non-nuclear group was not having much success in reducing the up-bow attitude they believed to exist. Moving the water to the forward trim tanks had not produced the desired result, and therefore they decided to put water in the forward ballast tanks. The report notes, as is normal in a submarine under construction, plates are welded over the ballast tank flood ports to prevent water from getting into the tanks and putting the submarine in an unsafe condition. Therefore, in order to frustrate this safety measure, it was necessary for the non-nuclear group to put a fire hose down the tank's vent pipe and force it past the check valve. So they put approximately 3,000 gallons into the ballast tanks, shut off the hose, and went to lunch. Meanwhile, the other nuclear group in the rear of the submarine is pumping water out, now having conducted their calibration tests. <laughs> Note this rather alarming angle that the ship is taking, to the point where... As mentioned, wakes off a of passage ships are now going down an exposed manhole. Now, the committee decided to investigate the correctness of the methods that had been used to trim the guitaros. <laughs> they questioned a submariner with extensive experience in submarine construction and operation. He said, quote, To put water into a main ballast tank to a person in submarines is, you don't do this unless you want to submerge or unless it is a very deliberate controlled evolution explaining how if you're going to put water in a ballast tank, the captain needs to be on board, people need to be all over the ship talking to one another on the radio. Another witness testified to them that submarines submerge by filling ballast tanks and by no other means. He further stated that by flooding the forward ballast tanks, as was done in this case, the submarine was put in a dive posture. Noted the writer of the report, it therefore occurs to the subcommittee that what the Guitaro did thereafter was only what it had been designed to do, sink. The committee did note that the swing shift foreman whom the work was assigned when first team went off their shift testified that he'd never before attempted to trim a ship and did not feel qualified to do so. Perhaps this explains the innovation of the fire hose down the vent pipe, <laughs> forcing water past the check valve. 
Anyway, I wish I had time to read the whole report to you. There is more comedy there. You're going to have to do that one on your own, dear listener. But we do note that apparently the Navy did swing into action, and to our knowledge, no other nuclear submarines have sunk while under construction. All right, I don't want to close by giving the Sacramento Bee too much of a swelled head, but they did some other good work here, which is worthy of citation. In both a piece by Jeremy White about how Prop 65 warnings uh, have been abused by certain lawyers, and in an editorial piece, the Bee sounded off on the abuse of our legal system by certain lawyers. In fact, the editorial piece opened with the following. We have great respect for the legal profession. Most attorneys adhere to a strict code of ethics and many provide service to the downtrodden victims and underdogs. Then, there's Miguel A. Custodio, Jr. Custodio has found at least two niches since he graduated from UCLA Law School in 2007. A few years ago, he attracted public attention by sending letters to small businesses claiming they failed to comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act. Now, there's a scam we've talked about on this show before. The piece goes on. More recently, Custodio has been threatening small business people who neglect to post Prop 65 signs warning customers that some products they serve is known by the state to cause cancer or be a reproductive intoxicant. Piece by Jeremy White cites some of the examples of things people should have been warned about per Prop 65. Uh, Well, how about the hazards of alcohol? Yes, apparently if your establishment serves alcohol, you have to put up a Prop 65 warning stating that this area contains chemicals known to the state of California to cause cancer and birth defects or other reproductive harm. In that piece, they note that Miguel A. Custodio did not return messages seeking his comment. But they did quote J.T. Fox as a person who received one of these notices. He was an attorney for Kitchen 24, a Los Angeles-based restaurant that received a warning in January and absolved itself by paying $5,000, apparently to Custodio. Fox called it a bargain, considering the cost of court fight or cumulative daily fines. But Fox said he harbors no ill will toward the lawyers who served him, saying, you're more angry at the statute than you are at them. They found a little nuance in the law where they can have an opportunity to make money. Apparently, J.T. Fox thinks that's just fine. A little nuance allowing you to make a little money. But thankfully, our legislature is swinging into action to try and provide some relief for people victimized by this... uh, this type of lawyer, which frankly does remind us of that old joke, what's the difference between a carp and a lawyer? Of course, the answer is that one is a scum-sucking bottom dweller, while the other is a fish. And no, we know there's some good lawyers out there, and some of you listen to this program, and I know you kind of have to endure our pot shots. But anyway, you, you might want to look into this thing with Custodio and maybe kind of rein in some of your own. What, what do you think? Just to show you we're on the same page as the B on this, <laughs> they note that Approved by voters in 1986, Proposition 65 is entitled the Safe Drinking Water and Toxic Enforcement Act, not the Bottom Feeders Enrichment Act. Actually, we got two minutes left and maybe one other jackass that can outdo J.T. Fox, which would be the, the mayor of Osaka, Japan, Toru Hashimoto, described as an outspoken populist who has often stirred controversy. His latest remark which has understandably enraged the Chinese, is in reference to Japan's system of military brothels during World War II. Said Mayor Hashimoto, anyone can understand that the system of comfort women was necessary to provide respite for a high-strung, rough-and-tumble crowd of men risking their lives under a storm of bullets. 
At the time, it was a necessary system to maintain military discipline. Now that's a jackass. All right, we got about one minute left. Let's go to a couple of good week four items, which we've been holding in reserve just in case. After the TV jurist received a higher trust level in a poll of 1,000 Americans than any other jurist, including the nine justices of the U.S. Supreme Court. And final item appropriate for our transition into KDVS's musical broadcasting was a good week last week for taking music lessons. After French researchers found that 31% of women would give their telephone number to a man carrying a guitar. Double the total of those who would hand their number to the same man if he was empty-handed. And that does it for today's program, which was produced by Edward McMillan. Our thanks to Tyler Blythe for his most entertaining uh, discussion of Kava. We will be following up on that in the future. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We'll see you next week at the same time. So you want to be a rock and roll star? Then listen now to what I say. Just get an electric guitar and take some time and learn how to play. And when your hair's come right and your pants are tight, it's gonna be alright. Then it's time to go downtown where the agent man. Charts, the girls will tell you about